Hello and welcome to another episode of Aussie Wisdom. Today I'm here with Coraline DeFro from Innova Services Group. And I expect we'll go on a pretty broad conversation about a whole lot of things. But Coraline, what would you like to tell us about yourself? So I so, have... Coraline. That's okay. I'll get that right. Coraline, Coraline. Yeah. Whatever you want. I'll answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I've had a really interesting journey for the last 14 years. I started in business when I was 18 um, in property and I um, owned a large property portfolio by the time I was 23 of about 15 properties. Thought I was the bee's knees. Um, also had a professional HR career for 10 years in corporate world. And the last five years have gone out on my own full time, left my corporate career and have explored this world of entrepreneurship, mm -hmm. the, the buzzword that everyone loves to use. And um, I've learned a lot, I've fallen on my face a lot the last five years. Mm -hmm. I thought I was invincible and now I think I've, I've, I've learned a lot more and I've got stronger foundations moving forward to really scale up my businesses. Oh. And so how did you make your start in property? Mm. So at the time, um, my ex and I had been together for a, since we were quite young and we decided that we wanted a, a portfolio and we wanted to retire by the time we we're 30 and we we're going to make millions of dollars and all that fancy stuff that you know everyone dreams about and we just saved a lot of money. Um, we still had fun, we still went to music festivals but we were smart with our money and we invested our first property in Cooparoo in Brisbane. Mm -hmm. It was a one bedroom unit mm -hmm. that we bought for $190,000 sure. back in 2005 I think it was. Yeah. Um, and that, that's how we started and then from there we just kept accumulating property. We were heavily into ne negative gearing mm -hmm. and we accumulated yeah, something like 15 properties um, mm -hmm. within the next few years. And so the goal when you invest in property mm -hmm. would be to do what? Get it tenanted straight away, and then yeah. Away. So yeah. we so initially we did that. We tenanted them. Um, we were negatively geared, so we were then um, using those things as tax write-off. Mm -hmm. We were then using the equity to purchase the next property, but mm -hmm. then there comes a point where you can't borrow anymore. So okay. then we started um, doing renovations, flipping them, selling them, keeping that money to then have cash payments to buy the next property. Mm -hmm. Then we started subdividing property. Mm -hmm. um, and keeping one and, and um, selling off the other so the other one would get paid down a lot quicker. Mm -hmm. um, and then later down the track we started doing property development where we would buy a block of land and we would either keep the house or bulldoze it down and um, build anywhere between four to six townhouses. And just so that I'm clear, mm. did either of you have a background in property? No. So how did you learn to do all of that? Lots of reading, lots of go to a lot of seminars. We had a mentor mm -hmm. that we paid forty thousand dollars for every year. Every year, okay. yeah. So we did that for two years. Okay. Um, it sounds like a lot of money, yeah. but it actually saved us a lot of money in the end, and we made that back really quickly. Okay. So the investment sounds like a lot, yeah. and it is a lot. Yeah. Um, but it was worthwhile in making sure that um, we didn't fall flat on our face and lose hundreds of thousands of dollars all our portfolio. And also, when you mention the negative gearing, mm. when you make an investment to invest in property, is that 40000 then tax deductible? It is tax deductible, yeah. And look, now I don't really believe in negative gearing. Okay. Um, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but I've, I've done it. Yeah. So at the time, I thought it was the right thing to do, but now yeah. I realise that it actually stops you from moving forward. Okay. Whereas if you have a positive cash flow okay. or neutral portfolio, Yes you're making more income, which means the bank is going to buy, lend you more money. Anyway. Uh, and so basically, can you just explain negative gearing for us? Yeah, so, I'm not an expert, so, yeah. you know, but essentially negative gearing is where you are making a loss mm -hmm. um, from how much you are paying with your repayments, your insurance, maintenance, mm -hmm. and compared to what you're getting back in rent, mm -hmm. there is a deficit. And right. a lot of people will use that deficit if the property is owned in their own name to then offset the tax amount that they're paying in their job. Okay. However, some of us do not structure that way. Some of us structure in a company or in a trust or in a company trust. Mm -hmm. 
negative gearing can still happen in those structures. Obviously, the deductions are used differently. So when do you think it actually makes sense as a strategy? When you've got a lot of tax in your job? It may. Like Again, I'm not yeah. a financial planner, so I'm not going to say what it is. I don't believe it is because I feel like you have to spend a dollar to get 30 cents back. Yeah. So it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. But I've, I've gone through that, right? I feel yeah. like some people, it might be right for them. Yeah. Mm. So, and just on that, so when you decided that you'd focus on negative gearing as a strategy, mm. was it the case that you couldn't necessarily cash flow the We properties? just didn't know. We were 18. Right. We were following things that we'd read. Yep. And it was a trend back then to negative gear. Okay. And then when we realised that, well, actually, we can't move forward and yeah. we want to continue to create our wealth, yeah. we started digging into different things and we saw this other strategy that was called positive cash flow. Yeah. And so, yeah, we were, we, we were, I wouldn't say young and dumb, but we were young and well, naive and we were putting other people up on pedestals when we should have probably not done things like that. And just on that, was the mentor interested in positive cash flow or negative gear? Um, he came down, and we're still very good mates, um, yeah. he came a lot later down the track, so okay. he, yeah, he came probably, I'd say, 10 years later. Right. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Mm. But... You still had all that experience. Mm. Obviously, you've made some money. We're sitting in an amazing place. Mm. So, do you still invest in property? Yeah, so I've still got two projects. I will be honest, I am dwindling my property investment business down so that I can focus on Innova Services Group, which yeah. is my commercial cleaning business. Yeah, yeah. Um, in my opinion, the way the property is and the market in Brisbane is changing dramatically. Okay. And I feel, again, just my experience, but I feel like it was... It, it was a lot easier to make money yeah. 14 years ago yeah. than it is now. Yeah. Um, there's a lot more governing bodies that have their hands out. Okay. Um, I feel like the market and the buyers are a lot more educated with shows like The Block, yeah, yeah. Um, Renault shows, so the expectations on finishes are a lot different than they used to be. Yeah. Um, you know, when APRA came into, um, when APRA came in 20, I think it was July 2015, with the restrictions on lending, mm -hmm. that made things a lot harder for people. Mm -hmm. um, for So, yeah, so the dynamics in property have changed dramatically. Um, I'm not saying I'm not, never going to do it again. Yeah. I still have a portfolio. Yeah. Um, but right now, I need to, I'm going to take a break from it. Yeah. Um, I've had a very challenging couple of projects cool. over the last few years, and I just need a break. Yeah. Yeah. Because... I've worked in real estate before, not been an investor, but certainly spoken with investors and with any investment, I, they don't always go no. right. And I think that's something that's really important for people to understand and it's something that I'm very passionate about talking about anything in business, yeah. is everyone always tells you how amazing things are, yeah. but I can tell you I've made millions of dollars and I've lost millions of dollars. Yeah, yeah. And no one ever talks about that. Yeah. No one ever talks about... Um, that the, the hard times. It's always about the glory days and it's always about um, how amazing I am. But I believe that now moving forward, I'm only 33 and moving forward I will not do business with anyone mm. who's not open to talk to me about their hard times. Mm. Because it, then I still feel like they're, they're in their ego yeah. and they're not willing to admit that actually those hard times made me who I am today and I'm a be better business person for it. And so, are there any hard times for you that you felt like really helped? Yeah, like I would, I, to be honest, I'm just coming out of one in the last six months that has okay. really challenged me. Yeah. Um, it has challenged my partner and I as a couple. Yeah. yeah. And has put a lot of strain on our relationship. We've lost a lot of money. Okay. Um, but I wouldn't take it away. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, made me realise that the more you grow your wealth, it's like new level, new devil. Like okay. it never, it never stops. And I think a lot of people think like, once I get a million dollars, then everything's going to be great. Because mm. I'm going to pay down my my house, and I'm going to do this, and then I'll never have to worry. Yeah. The worries never go away. And as the zeros grow, um, it, yeah, it's just a new level of dealing with things, a new level of problem solving, a new level of creating, a new level of people, calibre of people that you're dealing with. Yeah. So you're constantly being challenged no matter how much you're earning. Yeah. So awesome about all the property stuff and obviously that was a big part of mm, that's been the past. Mm. 
how did you move from doing that and being very focused on that? And also, when you were doing that, is that when you had your corporate HR job? Mm. Yeah. Is there anything that's really helped you based on that experience? My corporate job, yeah. Um, so it's been five years this month since I left. Okay. Um, feels like a lifetime ago. Yeah. And five years isn't that long, really. Mm. Um, so I was a HR generalist, and my last gig um, was with a big company that had um, a lot of industrial relations. And that taught me a lot. It taught me a lot about negotiation, taught me a lot about dealing with people, um, and working with all types of levels within an organisation. So, yeah, again, I wouldn't take that away. I mm. loved my career, mm. and, but it was time, when I left, it was time to go as well. Yeah. Mm. And then talk to me about your start with an over, mm. current job, or yeah. your current business. So my parents have always been in business. Okay. Um, but they've been, you know, small time guys. Like they've, they've never had. They've been successful in their own right. Okay. Um, but I always saw them as small business owners who struggled to, you know, just get business going. Yeah, you know yeah. the stuff that we don't talk about. Um, yeah. And my dad came to me. Well, I have. I'm very close with my family, and my dad said to me one year, "I think we're going to sell the cleaning business." Okay. I think, you know, mum and I are ready to move on and, yeah. um, and I said, well, you've had it for 15 years, it would just seem like a waste to, to get rid of that and I've always had um, visions of taking that on. So I just said to Dad, what are, what are we, would you mind if, if I bought that from you, you know, I could buy the business and we could continue to work together, do you have other plans, what could we do? Mm. My dad's a very open person and he's like, yeah, let's talk about it. And so. In October 2016, I bought the business, and it's been a very interesting ride since then. Um, luckily, we're a very open family. Uh, my mother no longer works in the business, but my dad and I are business partners, I guess you could say. And whilst it was an established business, it wasn't a business that was financially healthy. It wasn't a business that, um, yeah, it wasn't financially healthy. It had great it had a great culture with the clients it had a great culture with employees but I still felt like I was taking on a startup so at the time when I took it on I was managing ten, uh, eight or ten property projects which is a huge load um, you know that's about I think 40 million dollars worth of project like it's a lot mm -hmm. plus this starting this business mm -hmm. even though taking it over starting it um, I essentially had to strip it down take every layer off and then start from scratch. So we're what, what, two and a half years in now and we're doing well, we've doubled in that time. Um, and yeah, we're just- Double continue. revenue. Double revenue, yeah. And we've increased, um, we were at a negative, um, negative profit margin. Yeah. And now we're, we're in the green, which is amazing. Yeah. So that takes a lot of effort too. <laughs> Doesn't happen in your sleep. Yeah. And so, Let's say you were to go out and you start your own cleaning business, mm. or even just looking at being in a cleaning business. And I, I was just speaking about this yesterday. My girlfriend works in cleaning as well. Mm. Do you have many Australians that work in business? I don't. No, I mean I do. I have, um, and and this is something I'm really passionate about because. I get a lot of potential clients that say to me, look, if you don't have an Australian workforce, um, we're not really interested. And that's okay. I understand that we all have our own views on immigration and all that kind of stuff. But I can say that as an employer and someone who's been in that employment space across multiple industries, I've been in construction, I've been in mining, I've been in consulting, I've been in railway, mm. and now in cleaning, um, the, the labour is very different to what I'm used to mm. and that the people that I can, we can attract in terms of the Aussie culture mm. and the majority of Aussie workers are lazy in that space and um, they're not willing to, to put the hard work in. Mm. Um, you know, barriers of entry to a cleaning business are very easy. 
Now we're in commercial, not domestic, so domestic's a lot cheaper to get in. You just need a mop and a bucket and some domestic products from Woolies. Mm. But in the commercial space, it's a little bit different. It's still, you know, you don't, still don't need a lot of money to start a cleaning business. Mm -hmm. um, but what I find about the um, international labour is that they're grateful to have a job. Mm. They're not entitled. Yeah. They're hard workers. Yeah. Um, they appreciate the culture. Um, and they're so dedicated. Yeah. Well, that's it. That's sort of the conversation that I was having. I spoke with some young adults in the last week. And Aussie adults? Yeah, yeah. mainly Aussies. Mm. And I realised what was likely holding them back to getting their first job mm. was being completely unwilling to do a lot of jobs. Yeah. And I would say that cleaning would be in that basket. But they're just like, I don't know. And I, I certainly know what it's like to have moved to Canada and had a management consulting background yeah. and not being willing to take on something that I probably should have just gone ahead and done. Mm. But I was like, oh, I'm, I'm not a bartender. Mm. Like it was just, it was a, I couldn't swallow my pride. Yeah. And, and it really, it was like, the, the interesting thing that I thought about that was that I think there's a misconception that when you go into the workforce, the role that you put on your chest or your name tag or whatever defines you. And a lot of people think that you may never really be able to change from that particular role. Mm. So if you made a start in, let's say, cleaning, you may never go over to be a property investor mm. or something along those lines. Mm. And so it's interesting for me to see that you've gone from that really cool property investor and then developer tag to go, you know what, my family's cleaning business would be really cool. Time. It's really funny you say that because I, I'm, not, I'm not going to lie, I def my ego definitely struggled with it. Yeah. Um, letting go of that title or, yeah. you know, what, what do you do like that? Yeah, yeah. Oh, what do you do? I'm an owner of a commercial cleaning business. You know, it was definitely something that I struggled struggled with loosely. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I realised like it's all business. Yeah. It actually doesn't matter what you do. The principles are exactly the same. Yeah. And um, yes, you have to be passionate about the product and the service that you provide. Yeah. Definitely, because otherwise you won't succeed. But what a lot of people don't realise, and a lot of you know, education spruikers out there don't disclose, which frustrates me, is that to be a property developer, you need a cash flow business. Yeah. Because property development is not cash flow. No. Yeah. Um, you will wait two or three years, if you're lucky, to get a payout. If you're lucky. Yeah. I've had projects where they've taken me two and a half years and I've never, ha I ha didn't get anything at the end. Because yeah. the market changed. Yeah. Um, and you did all, and that's the nothing, other nothing side of it. Wrong, yeah. I, I, there are certainly people that love developing property because they love building stuff, mm. but most property developers have want for making cash. Correct, and, and the so majority have a cash flow business that they yeah. don't tell you about. Yeah, they'll have a quarry, they'll have a waste management firm, they'll have yeah a cleaning business. They'll have they'll have something that yeah. creates cash flow. Yeah, and that's why it's something that they don't. Um, disclose when they're spruiking these education, you know, be a pro become a property developer, leave your job in two years and mm. you'll be making triple what you made in your job. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But a lot of us shouldn't quit our job. Yeah. Because that, that is our cash flow. If you don't have a cash flow business, that is your cash cash yeah. flow. What also when you said they run a cash flow business, what was it? Quarry? Well these I'm, I'm yeah, like I, I just off people I know, they'll have a quarry, a waste management business, an education business. So what I like about the first two especially, and I think this is something that we don't necessarily think about because the title is so important to us, but in some of those industries, some of the people that have done the best of the people that I know have made their money in non-sexy industries. And there's money in those non-sexy industries because there's a whole lot of people saying, oh, I don't want to do all those. That's right. And you know, you came back, I'm jumping around a bit, but you mentioned that you were talking to some people who you know, weren't willing to do whatever it took. Mm. 
One thing that I didn't share before is that when my ex-husband and I started buying property at the age of 18, mm. I was at uni full-time and I had three jobs. Mm. And then to get my first HR gig, I worked six months in a, in a HR role for free. Really? To, on top of owning full, three properties. Full-time? For, th for six months, yeah. Full-time? Yeah, so then I worked every weekend, every night, went like every night just to get money. And what made you, had you seen someone do that before and then you decided that you would do the same or? When did I graduate? I know that when I graduated there was, um, the job market was less fruitful. Yep. It was just before the GFC actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I had to have a point of difference. I had to show that I was willing to do stuff. And yep. then obviously once I did that, I got a permanent job. Yeah. But I had to give six months of my time for free, full time. Yeah. And then everyone's like, oh, you're so lucky. I'm like, well, I've only been working three jobs plus this full-time gig. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you really have to go out there. It's, it doesn't just happen. You know, my, my ex-husband was working full-time. I couldn't put all that pressure on him. Mm. Yeah, and we were young. You know, you have lots of energy. You just got to do it. Do what it takes. Yeah. You know, I, I, think, I think that one of the things that we struggle with in Australia is our mentality there's definitely people in Australia that work hard mm, yeah there is but the mentality is that you do it all to just relax and have a beer and watch the footy yeah totally and there's not like it's interesting my ex-partner she worked in audit in one of the mm. accounting firms mm. and she knew the hours that she worked and she knew that when she came to Australia in those order firms where people were still talking about the work being just as hard, she was like, you, you, don't, even, you don't even understand how little we have to do here compared to what we do in North America. And yeah, like I certainly appreciate that there, when she moved out of that and she was sort of like, you know, that CFO sort of financial control role, She'd get home at 3 a.m. in the morning and then she'd get up and train at like 6. Mm. And yeah, that's like a lot of people just couldn't necessarily understand that. And it's, in, it's interesting too because there are times, like obviously there you don't want to be like that forever. No, it's not sustainable. But you also know that there are times when you go, you know what, for the next 6 or 12 months, I'm not going to be, I can't play sport midweek. Mm. I can't go out on weekends. I can't right. do this or that or whatever. But if I do this six months of free work, I expect that everything I want is going to work out for yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. But you it's sort of, you have to almost make that bet. Mm. Yeah. That the people that you've picked also are going to appreciate mm. that you've done exactly that. Well, it's like an investment, right? Yeah. I think a lot of people don't realise I think, oh, if I invest in this, I'm guaranteed this return. Mm. It's a risk. Just the way that I risked putting six months into something and may not get something back. And just on that, so you did that six months of free work. Mm. How long from then were you able to start investing in property? We already owned two properties. We already then. owned two. Mm. And so you basically went, uh, and just so that I understand, Yeah. Um, could you see that you needed to have a job that made you money so that you could keep investing in property? Or yeah. Like and I loved my, at the time I really want, I wanted to be this, you know, HR career woman that was yeah. going to do great things yeah. for the world. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> As you do when you're 18. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And so, um, just on that, mm. do you, what would you, what would you, what advice would you give to people that were just coming out of school or coming out of university now, after all the experience that you've had, mm. that you expect would help them get a start. Also that's knowing that you run a business that's reasonably low barriers to entry and they mm. could always make a start with you if they showed that they were mm. workers. I think no matter what you do, don't compare yourself to others. Okay. Anything, 
anything and everything takes time. So, you know, I love this example that people use around when a child learns to walk, they don't give up the first time they can't walk. They just keep getting back up, yeah. keep going. And we don't say, oh, stop doing that. Yeah. So it's the same thing with a business. Um, I think with social media, with all these YouTube videos where it's like, hustle and in two years you'll get there. And it's like, well, you know, the majority of businesses don't make it after 10, 15, 14 mm. and a half, 20 years. Mm. And yeah, there's a lot of people that make it after two or three years. But instant growth also means that you need to stabilize. Mm. And so if you are having slow growth, you're, gonna, you're, all, you're both going to get to the same place at the mm. same time. Um, so definitely don't compare. Take your time. It's going to be hard. Mm. Make sure you're surrounded by people who understand. And was that just before you sort of move on? Well, I'll let you mm. give the next one, mm. but I want to come back to that. Which part? Surround yourself with people that understand yeah. mm. or that have a similar mentality. Mm. Was that something that was relatively easy? No. Okay. No. No, I feel like. Um, you know, my ex-husband and I obviously had each other, which mm -hmm. was really great. Mm -hmm. The majority of our school friends, well, not really school friends, but I said friends growing up in our 20s, mm -hmm. were definitely not in the same mind frame as us. We partied a lot and we had a lot of fun, but we definitely didn't party to the extent that a lot of people did. And I think um, there were a lot of people who didn't understand. You know, sometimes we'd say, well, that's not in the budget, so we're not going to do that. Yeah. Um, Whereas I guess when you're in your early 20s, you usually don't, you're carefree, right? Mm. You usually live at home and you've got all this money and you're like, oh, I'll save a little bit, but I've got all this stuff to spend. Mm. Um, and then when we, so we're still really good friends, which is really great. But I would say that it's taken me a long time to find my people. Yeah. And only really in the last, I'd say three years, mm -hmm. have I really... And it's 50% my fault too. Mm. I don't think I allowed myself to find those people, but there came a point where I thought, you just can't keep doing this. And I can't continue to grow and up-level myself mm. if I'm not with people that are doing the same thing. Mm. So now I'm surrounded by amazing women and men in all types of industries that I can call upon and, hey, I'm going through this, what's going on for you? Mm. Um, Whereas, you know, I also have a lot of friends who aren't in business and who I love, but don't understand. And their worries and stresses are different to mine. Yeah. And we, I, whilst I can relate to theirs, there would be no way that they could relate to mine. Mm. You know, I shared a story of something that I was um, going through recently with a girlfriend that I've known for one and a half decade. And she said to me last week, why did you ever tell me that you were going through this? And I said to her, it was just easier not to talk about it because mm. I was so drained from this huge business thing that was going on that I knew because you're a smart girl, you would ask me all these questions and I didn't have these answers and it would have mm. just drained me. It's easier okay. to talk. Yeah. yeah. Whereas if I talked about it with someone who was going through the same thing, we would have been able to problem solve or we would have been able to speak about other things rather than why did that happen? How did that happen? How did you get to that? You know? It's an interesting thing too because mm. the other side of that is if you if you're both experiencing similar problems then you both can understand each other mm. well mm. so that part's good but chances are if you're both in, in deep in the middle of a problem you're both feeling a little bit poor me and you kind of just want to find someone in a similar situation to make you feel better that it's not just you. Yeah, yeah, totally. So the chances of there being like a big like jump in inside yeah. is probably not as high. But like it's it's nice to hang out with people that are going through the same shit. Yeah, totally. That, that you are. And you don't like obviously you don't really want to have to dwell on a problem. No. But sometimes when you're in a situation where so what someone comes in at, at an energy level completely different to where you are at the moment, it's just draining. Yeah. Like, just, dude, you just, just chill out, you're annoying me, 
like I can't, like, it's actually annoying you that I can't come anywhere near to where you are at the moment. Mm, yeah. And that's pissing me off more than like the fact that you're happy or like whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, and I think too, it's, a, you know, for me, I learn a lot by people sharing their stories. Yeah. And so there's a part of me that self-reflects and says, I probably should have shared at the time because I've made a decision on her behalf to say that she can't support me and that's not fair. Well, because I never gave her that opportunity, even if she's not going through what I went through. Yeah. And so I'm also very conscious that now I want, because I want to speak about all the good and the bad, Yeah. Because I know that I'm so grateful to people who have helped, who have openly done YouTube videos and talked about their failures and talked about how they got out of it, yeah. has helped me. That essentially they were the people that were closest to me, yeah. people that I looked up to, that were not in my immediate circle, but that have podcasts, that have mm. books and all those kinds of things. So I'm very conscious that also pretending like my problems are better or bigger or than others is not really that great either. It's also interesting though. If I certainly got difficult times in my past and you pick and choose who you speak with about it mm -hmm. mainly because some people will understand and not judge mm -hmm. and look to help but really the rest of it doesn't really matter if they don't understand that's annoying mm -hmm. but eventually they can understand mm -hmm. but when they judge you straight away yeah that's when it's really frustrating, like, you know what, I wish I didn't have this conversation. And that's where the ego comes in and goes, oh, well, fuck it then, I'm just going to retreat. Yeah. And you've just hurt me and shamed me. Yeah. When I was really trying to open up. Yeah. Mm. So, you know. All right, for the last three years, is there something you did to help you find those people? Um... Yeah, I think it was more, in, you know, a lot of people say this, but it was a lot more of the internal work. So it's turning off that comparison, turning off what everyone else was doing mm. and really going, what is it that I need? What is it that I want? Letting the ego drop. Mm. That's been a massive thing for me. Um, I've never felt that I was too much of an egotistical person but the ego is there for all of us yeah and kidding ourselves if we think it's not mm. um so for me definitely you know that label of property developer and all of that was really I, I spent so much time working on on that i also um nearly lost everything so five years ago my ex-husband and i made a really bad investment and we nearly lost everything so i was underground essentially and that's a topic for another day but mm. Um, underground for about five years and so it meant that I lost who I was yeah. because I was trying, I was in recovery mode, I was trying to keep everything together yeah. which takes so much energy that I couldn't be who I really was and it's taken so much time. I did lots of silent retreats, I did lots of inner work, um, I did a, yeah, lots of like natural medicine work and stuff like that that's really helped me just shut everything off and come back to me and it's not until I let all of that go mm. that then people could see me for me mm. that I started really attracting some amazing people in my life. It yeah. sounds so woo-woo but yeah. yeah. Until you kind of go through it, it's something that I've always, always listened, heard about, read about and I was like, oh I get it but I don't really get it and it's not until you go through that yourself that you're like, oh I get it now. Just. You're in a partnership with your husband or ex-husband or did you find that you were treated relatively equally or what was it like being a woman in that situation? It's really hard to comment as a 33-year-old looking back as like my 20-year-old self yeah. because I feel like I had so much to do in the dynamic of that relationship mm -hmm. but it was fairly equal. Mm -hmm. But I, I didn't value myself enough in that relationship. Okay. So I allowed certain things to happen, yeah. which now, in this time, I probably wouldn't have again. But that's not saying that it was his fault. It was just, we were growing up, we've known each other for so long, 
yeah, it was just this dynamic of... And when people met you both as property investors and property developers, would they automatically go to him or would they come to you or would it no, be... No, it was very... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it was... The, the, the thing for us, because we were together for so long and at such a young age, yeah. people saw us as, a, as one entity. Right, okay. Yeah. So it was, you know, it was always Coraline and yeah. like it was just, we were one person yeah, almost. Yeah. And, and and we got each other, we lost ourselves in that unity of yeah. one person, yeah, yeah. which is not healthy. Yeah. And that was before you build a big brand on Instagram or something like that. Like, have you seen those people on Instagram? You sort of kind of know yeah, yeah, what's yeah. like now? Or? Yeah, well, um, he, he's had a, a big following on Instagram. Yeah, cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, Sorry, I don't remember what you... No, well, it's, just a, it's just a funny thing, like, <laughs> because some people um, might see their Instagram account as the, the badge that they wear. Oh, right, I see you what you're So if you've got like 50,000 followers mm. as, a, as a property developer couple at the peak of the block and that kind mm. of thing, like... You know, no, like, his, his, his following happened after we broke up. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so it's, it's interesting... It's a, it would be a different world, I imagine, having to do all of that work with all of those developers and then having like thousands of people also trying to reach out to you and watch you and and then having to put on a brave face mm. when things don't go Yeah, well. for sure. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, when you're 23 and nothing goes wrong and you build this portfolio and you have all this money, mm. you're like, well, what are these 60-year-old fuckers doing? Like, mm. I've got this shit worked out. Yeah. It's, it's act like, yeah, we were fully in our ego and we deserved everything that came to us. Because when you come, like when you, that's how you act in business. Mm -hmm. There is no other way than to come down. Yeah. And, and whether, even, even if you're not cocky, that's just the flow of life. There will always be ups and downs and it's about making sure that you enjoy the ups. But also be mindful that and prepare for the downs that are coming. And they mm -hmm. might not be huge downs, mm -hmm. but they'll still curve slowly downwards. Mm -hmm. And I think too many of us are not aware of that. You know, I'm, I'm very um, conscious and aware and passionate about the cycles mm. of the economy. Mm. And, you know, we're coming into an era now where we're 10 years into a new economic cycle. We've got generations that are coming into their 20s and it was exactly what I went through. Mm. Never saw a bad thing. Yeah, yeah. And so it's going to be really interesting to see what comes out of the other yeah. side of the cycle. And whether when the jobs dry up hmm. in the industries where people want to be, they'll be willing to move into something else right. that maybe doesn't give them the same amount of Correct. social status that yeah. the job that they were looking for yeah. did. And in Australia, we're really, um, we're really lucky. We, we're not exposed to what happens around the world. People don't realise that in Europe, some countries in Europe, they've got 20% unemployment rate. And yeah. You know, like, we're just so lucky. That's you know? Europe too. Yeah, that's yeah. Europe, that's right. Yeah. Um, you know, there's pockets in America. Now that, you know, for the last few years they're doing quite well, but mm. 10 years ago they were struggling. Mm. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot for people to be mindful of. And I've seen in the last five to six years a lot of people have overcapitalized in terms of... Um, interest rates have been low. Yeah. They've been able to get them, you know, their big mansions which is fine but the minute interest rates go up by half a point mm. they, they're not going to be able to pay their bills and people aren't looking at that stuff long term mm. so our economy is in for an interesting ride i think and then obviously you built your property portfolio with your ex-husband mm. then you bought your parents business mm -hmm. and now you work with your dad mm -hmm. Can you walk me through how that? Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, it's really cool actually. I feel very blessed to be able to work with my dad. Um, I have a few friends who've lost their dads. My current partner you know, lost his dad. And so I feel very grateful that I get to do that with him. Mm -hmm. uh, we're very close. Um, we, I don't know, my partner says that I get my own way because he's my dad, but I don't know if that's true or not. I like to think that we have some healthy debates. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, we're equals, you know. He knows, like, I know what he's great at, he knows what he's good at, and vice versa. And so what works really well is that there's just that trust. Mm. that I've had other business partners in the past, and you just don't get a trust like you do with your father, in my opinion and in my experience. Mm. And so we can really focus on what's important because we have that trust. We don't think that we're going to fuck each other over. And he knows, like, he's technically a genius when it comes to cleaning and I know a lot of people go, well it's cleaning, can it really be that hard? He has 30 years in the industry, mm. he's very knowledgeable. Mm. Um, I don't have that, but I love the business side, I love the growing the business, I love the numbers, I love you know, putting effort and time into my leadership team so that they can continue to grow. Mm. And so because of that, we're a great team. Mm. Um, it, yeah, it's a match made in heaven, I guess, but I'm very conscious of, you know, my dad's 60, so how do we make sure that, um, from a business perspective, we have succession planning in place so that experience is not lost, mm. if something happens, um, you just never know, you know, but then he always says to me, well, vice versa, like what happens if something happens to you? So, um, yeah, I feel very grateful to work with my dad every day, it's really fun. And did it take, was it really obvious initially, or did it take a while for him to appreciate what you, brought to the business and the way you do things? Like was there sort of like that initial butting heads part? No, we've never had that. Really? Yeah. Okay. We've never had that. Um, my family, so we're French and we're very vocal, we're very yep. open. Yeah, yeah. Um, to the point where my partner, when he first came, met my family, thought that we were always fighting. I wonder if, and in saying that, yeah. I wonder if the butting heads part is just you guys being normal. It, for us, it's normal until he mentioned it to me, yeah. and I was like, oh, well, he's like, is everything okay? Are you fine? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we're just having a conversation because we've got our hands in the air and we're, you know, Europeans and yeah. loud voices, and it's just who we are. So I think because of that, if there's something wrong, we just say it then and there. So yeah. things don't manifest, mm-hmm. things don't fester into this awful stuff. Yeah. If, if, if we think of something, we just tell each other straight there and there. So. It's really good, and that's how we've always grown up. Yeah. So there's never been a like. There'll be times where we don't agree, or he'll be like, "Shut up for a second, let me talk," because I love talking. You might probably talk over the top of him, and likewise with me. And you know, Dad always says, "Well, I'm a male and you're a female, and we're probably saying the same thing, but because we think about yeah." So in that way, we have we butt heads, but but our family will say how it is, and then five minutes later, like we don't hold grudges, we don't. Yeah. Even here, you know, I live with my sister and her um, husband and um, sometimes the boys get really uncomfortable because my sister and I will have it out and then two minutes later we're like, yeah, so what are we going to cook for dinner tonight? Mm-hmm. And they're like, what the hell's going on, you know? Mm-hmm. Thought you were going to kill each other. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Cool. So that's really helped the dynamic with my dad. Yeah. Yeah. And is there anything you could say to people that are looking to work with their family or their parents mm. that you think might be able to help them based on some of the, maybe the difficulties that you have had? I think it's very important whether you're working with your family, a business partner, a friend or anything like that is to sit down every six months mm. at the very minimum to talk about where is the business going? What are we doing? Is it still aligned with you? Is, is the vision of the business still something you want to do? How does this affect your personal life? Mm-hmm. Is this meeting your personal goals? Because if you don't have those open communication streams, it will, it will not work. Mm-hmm. And then not only that, but having document, like documenting that stuff. Because people's, people's um, intentions, I don't know, goals and things can change if they have a baby or if they have a new partner. And if you don't have those things in writing, when there is a conflict or when, for me, I don't even think it's conflict, I think it's emotional. When emotions come into business, that's when things get very messy. Mm. You can't talk to people rationally um, and emotions start to run everything and that will be the demise of, of the business. So I think it's about talking about things as they come up and not letting them fest up because it makes things take 20 times harder. Just on that, let's say you woke up tomorrow mm. 
and you didn't have the communication skills you have now, mm. how would you manage? Because everything about that was we have open communication, mm. we make it really clear what's going on, we let each other know, every six months we sit down and we talk. If you're not someone who talks, like, what, would you, what would you do? How would this work? I think it would, it would be very hard. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I can some, somewhat talk to that because my current partner is very different to me. Mm -hmm. um, he loves his own time. Mm -hmm. He's not an overly big communicator. Mm -hmm. um, and I've struggled with that because my ex-husband and I talked a lot about stuff. I come from a family where we talk about everything. His family talked about everything. Mm -hmm. So I really struggled with that. But Just, and sorry, yeah. his family were Italian? Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, so, so the same, like, like we yeah. were really boisterous and it was the same as my family. Yeah. Um, and so then with my current partner, talking about things and not getting something back was really difficult. Mm. But what I've seen, so we've been together now for about five years, is now he values and sees how important it is to communicate those things and mm. how when you don't, they do fester mm. and you make stories up in your mind. Yeah. So I know it doesn't really answer your question as to what I would do right now, yeah, yeah. but I think if you're not comfortable in opening up, I feel like when we're not sharing it's because we're scared. Yeah. We're scared of what people are going to think of us. We're scared we're going to be shamed. We're embarrassed of what we think. Mm -hmm. But the minute it comes out, one, you feel so much better. Mm. And two, it builds trust, it builds vulnerability. If, if, if anything, actually, I recommend for your audience to read any books from Brene Brown. Yeah, yeah. She talks a lot about vulnerability and shame. Mm. And it's all about opening up and it's all about sharing and how that actually creates connection. Mm. I remember you the first time you and I met. I think that's how we built connection. We were just open and honest about mm. what we'd gone through. Mm. Um, and it's not about like a sob story or being a victim, but it's just about being real. Mm. It, um, it's an interesting thing. I definitely have, I like, I like talking and I've learned to like listening and <laughs> I certainly have mates that aren't really like that and I do think that um, growing up as a man in Australia, my dad also is a big talker, so I always had a model for that kind of thing. Mm, that's amazing. Um, but yeah, you let's say for your partner, you almost need to have seen that that kind of style works mm. for you to decide that maybe that's something that you'd try to emulate. Mm. Because there'll be a whole lot of people where it doesn't really come naturally mm. and they'll probably just see the people that talk a lot as just full of shit. Just talk a lot. And, and actually, like if they talk a lot, it's just really hard to listen to someone talk so much. <laughs> my partner say sometimes says to me, yeah, my yeah. partner says sometimes, yeah, I don't need to hear all of your thoughts, Corinne. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, I just thought I'd share. <laughs> so I've learned to really, like, tone it down, Yeah. which is great. Like, I've learned so much from him yeah. because we're so different. So I agree with what you're saying. Yeah, some people, you're like, let's just sit here in silence. Um, you know, we go on road trips all the time, and my friends sometimes like, oh, what do you guys do? Because we go often. Oh, we'll t talk for a couple of hours and then we won't talk for a couple of hours. And I have girlfriends who really struggle with that. How do you sit in a car with someone and not talk for two hours? Yeah. So being comfortable with that silence is actually quite powerful. Yeah. There's a quote in Pulp Fiction where, um, what's his name? He takes the boss's wife out for dinner. Vincent takes the long boss's wife out for dinner and there's a lull in conversation and he says something along the lines of you know you're really good friends or you know you're really close when you can just sit together and just shut the fuck up and then she goes let me put that out kind of thing but, but yeah it's certainly true and I think it if you are someone who likes talking or and likes being heard 
it's a difficult thing to sit with someone who doesn't open up as much as you're used to. Mm. Um, so that's why it's, I actually, in that same session, I, I run events called Peers with Mates where we get around and have a chat. And we ran a session similar to that and there was a guy there. It was difficult because we were in a group of three and so my communication style to one guy was going to have to be a lot different to my communication style to the other because the other really didn't want to talk. Mm. And the first question that we had was a difficult question that had sort of negative... You, like the question was, what do you miss? And so straight away just went, oh, my mum, like, like a young guy mm. who's living overseas and he just really misses being at home with his mum and having friends and all that kind of thing. So straight away just went, negative place, don't know you, there's this other guy talking, you're both loud, How, what am I going to do here? And he just left the conversation. And I was like, oh shit. But, yeah, again, it, uh, it's, I think the interesting thing that I've had, and it seems like you sort of value the same thing, is a lot of the business that we do with people is via a conversation and trying to have as little misunderstandings as possible. Mm. And that's not always easy. No. I'm quite hot-headed, so <laughs> I tend to just say things and they come about very abruptly. And, and I've learned that about myself over the years, so I have to be very cautious that when someone leaves a conversation, I'm like, okay, you know, like, did you how did you interpret that? Because yeah. it's not how it potentially came about. And it still happens in my family. Oh, Caroline was being a bitch today. I'm like, well, why? Hang on, I didn't say it. I'm, I'm so oblivious to it. Because yeah. I just say, how, think how, how it is. Yeah. Um, but I know that now. In my mm. 20s, I didn't. I was just... Yeah. I was exactly the same. Getting better at it, but I still get it wrong. Mm. Definitely. And so with all that you've done so far, is there a project that you've really enjoyed, that you've sort of most enjoyed of all of that, that like if you had to wake up and do all the things that you've done so far, mm. you start something again tomorrow, what would it be? That's a good question. What Is it something that stands out? Look, I love business. I love the challenge. I love the unknown. I'm a bit of a risk taker. Um, so it ticks all those boxes for me. I've done a few startups which are very intense and energy draining. Could I do another startup? Probably. Um, but it'd have to be the right one. Mm -hmm. I think in my 20s I had so much energy and so much just didn't care. I was like, I'm just going to do it. Whereas now I'd be a lot more intent around what I did because it because I know how much energy it takes. Mm. Um, but I'm really passionate at the moment. What what I'm the most passionate about is spending time with people and I like to say women because I feel like men have a lot of spaces where they can learn about business. I feel like when men get together, it's okay to talk about money in business. Yeah. And I feel like for women... Or it's uncomfortable to speak about other things. That's right. Whereas, business sport. Yeah. Women. Whereas for yeah. us women, you know, we have, we are happy to go to the doctors and we're happy to do all these things, whereas for men it's more uncomfortable. Mm. So for me, I, I, I'm very passionate at the moment and starting to look at ways that I can bring women together to talk about money, to talk about how can you create your wealth, what does structuring that look like? Mm. Did you know that you could structure things so that you could protect your money? Did you know that when money is only in your name, it's actually up for grabs? Did you know that it's okay to talk about money? And in Australia, we have this tall poppy syndrome, which really fucks us over, you know? If you're successful, then it's either through drugs, your parents' inheritance, or something else. You just got a lucky break. No one ever thinks that, oh, well, you did a really good job because you just worked hard. Mm. Um, so breaking that, breaking that down, but also giving women the opportunity to own that about themselves. It took me so many years to own the fact that, you know what, I actually love money. And there's nothing wrong with that. Mm. I'm not greedy. Mm. I'm not, like, 
I'm not materialistic. I've got a car that's 15 years old because I can't justify spending money. I'm like, oh, I could invest that or I could get a brand new car. Again, I'm not judging. That's just my choice. But I want people to be able to love money and to be okay with wanting to build wealth and okay to say, I have $500,000 in the bank or I have $2 million in the bank. We don't talk about that because we're not comfortable. We're not in a society where it's comfortable to do that. I, I know I don't feel comfortable in certain circles to say how much money I have or how much I'm worth because of that judgment. Or I've noticed that some people have their hand out if they know how much I'm worth. And so, well, Coraline's got lots of money, so she can. And there's that assumption as well. Well, do I have a lot of money? Are you sure? Because I've made a lot of money, but I've lost a lot of money, so I could actually be in the negative. So it's all these assumptions that we make in this society. Whereas you go to America, people openly talk about, I've been bankrupt, I've got $15 million. Actually, I had like made 15 last week, but today I lost 10. So I'm back down to five. In Australia, there's no forum for that. And I'm really passionate about it. And I'm passionate about teaching people or find people finding the right forums to go and who do I talk to if I need to to set this up or we, we put our you know financial planners we put our financial advisors our accountants on a pedestal because we don't educate ourselves mm -hmm. and then we have this blame game of well they did that well why didn't you go out and learn about it so that you could actually have an educated conversation with them about why they chose a certain thing for you mm -hmm. and that you actually didn't want to go down that path you want you wanted a lower risk or a medium risk investment so i'm, I'm really passionate about those conversations because i know for me i've spent probably close to a million dollars on my education in business, in understanding financial planning, structuring to protect myself, that people think it should just be available and they should just know, but it's like anything, you know, if, if you're an electrician, it takes you four years to get your apprenticeship and then probably, then you, then, then it takes you a few more years before you can open your own electrical business because, well, that's a trade that, is very dangerous and you're not going to know it the first day that you start. I think the, well, I actually think the thing about finance, having worked in finance, mm -hmm. is that, yeah, I read a lot of books on it and the university course, there's some difficult parts of it, but none of it's actually that difficult. That's right. It's just, it's just a brand. People are, oh, stock market, that must be difficult, that must be risky. It's, it's just looking at businesses. Like, I've been a stockbroker. I've looked at becoming a financial planner. And it's not, it's not easy to understand all the tax codes and all those kind of things. Like, that's just the process, and they change, and all those kind of things. Like, it's difficult. It, it's best to have someone that could just hold your hand through all of that stuff. But basic money management is not that difficult. But a lot of people don't know. But it's the interesting thing about it is, like it, and this is the difficult part. You go to invest in property, you've seen negative gearing. You think the ideal property you get is a property that won't make money, so you can negative gear, right? But if you run a business, you think, what's the business do? Well, it makes money for me. Such a great way to put it. Right, so like, well, what do I, but why, I would, I don't want to make property. I don't want to make money in property because then I can't negative gear. And then, but oh, what do I negative gear for? Oh, it's for a tax saving. This is the thing that a lot of it comes down to. When you have a tax problem, you have an income problem. That's a good problem. That's exactly Just make money. Right. Yeah. Like, that just go out and do... The higher tax bill, the higher income you're bringing in. Find a good accountant to work the rest out. Right. Set things up in a certain way and eventually you work that out. But most of us are not going to go out tomorrow and make 10 million bucks mm. and then have a really big tax bill. Most of us are going to be struggling to get everything else right. Just go out and make some money. When you save some money, work out how to invest it. And I personally think that it's good to be able to speak to a stockbroker, speak to a financial planner, and understand the conversation that you're having. But don't be worried if you're not doing everything yourself. 
Totally. So I'm glad you clarified that because what I meant by what I was saying is that you need to be able to have intelligent conversations. Yeah. A lot of people just give their power away to those people. Yeah. And then they, they can't necessarily trust them. Correct. And then when something goes wrong, they don't take the responsibility yeah. of, well, he made those decisions. Well, no, it's your money. Yeah. It, it's, a, it's a partnership. Yeah. Well, I think the difficult thing about being a stockbroker is you help people buy and sell stocks. And really what you do when you're on the phone is you sell them an idea. And they're the one that says yes or no. So, yeah, I called you and I told you about an idea. I didn't force you to make this decision, but I did sell it to you. And so you may have felt that it was really good. I, ideally, you trust me and I've told you some of the downsides to it as well, mm -hmm. but you've had to say yes. And so on the flip side of that, as a stockbroker, if something goes wrong, the way that you can live being a stockbroker is knowing that you were both made that decision. You wouldn't have called them if you didn't think it was a good idea. They did say yes to it and it didn't work. And unfortunately, the other difficult thing about the stock market, and I haven't had as much experience in the property market, but my understanding is that things probably move quicker in the stock market than they do in the property market. You can also sell things quicker, but if you don't watch, or you don't have an advisor that watches what's going on with some of your investments, especially in the stock market, they can move really quickly, and things harden in a day. And I think that's, for me, it's that real critical piece of people being responsible for their money yeah. and being responsible for the decisions they make. Yeah. And I think there's too many things out there telling people there's all these passive investments. There is no investment that is passive. Even if it makes you money while you sleep, mm. it still needs your attention. You still need to mm. have your finger on the pulse. Yeah. And too many people want to give away that power yeah. to then have this blame victim relationship yeah. that it didn't go right. Yeah. You told me it was going to go right, yeah. and it hasn't. And I think it's because people bring too much emotion mm. into investment mm. when investment is a business decision, like you said. Yeah. Well, it's purely rational. Like the the markets play. There's a lot of emotion that definitely attached to markets, but you like to humans. believe that you're making decisions that mm. are rational. And, and when people invest, and, and to me, investment, when you invest, you have to be prepared to lose 100% of what you have yeah. invested. Yeah, yeah. And too many people are not ready for that, or yeah. prepared for that, or have even been given that conversation. Yeah. yeah. Or, or understood, especially with stocks, that it's likely that you can set up a way to mean the limit that mm, That's right, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, and again, like, even if you deal, it's not that easy to set up all of those things. No. But it's it's possible. And the interesting thing, I haven't I haven't had this experience recently. I bought a stock. I knew it was a risky stock. But when I buy stocks, I buy long term. Mm -hmm. And so when I realised that I actually needed some money, I didn't even think that I had a stock because mm. I'd forgotten about that money because that was future money I was like oh yeah I could sell that stock mm. and actually I it's a funny thing because that stock had gone up a lot and then it went down quite a bit mm. I was still up significantly Yeah. but when you think about money let's say you buy something at a dollar and it goes to three dollars and you sell it two you forget you made a dollar mm. all you think is you lost a dollar that's exactly right and that's that's when it starts becoming difficult for you because you're like, oh my God, this is what happened then. I should have been watching it then and sold it exactly there and that is the way that things should work and I definitely should have found a peak. So I failed because I didn't find a peak. Like, well, mate, you still did well and you can still invest again and it'll likely still work out and you still made the right decision and you made some money and I think People see or hear or believe that people become billionaires overnight. And fact of the matter is, most people, if they can find a way to make under 10% a year, that's a really good thing. Totally. 
like like you've got a long life mm. and compounding interest is an amazing thing. Yeah. So don't worry if you don't shoot lights out in the first yeah. month. That's right, exactly. That's the biggest thing is just be dedicated, show up every day, even when it feels like shit, mm. or even when it feels like it's all gonna combust and fall apart, just keep showing up. I think that's the biggest thing. Mm. Because you know, old mate who's got his abs, he goes to the gym every day. Mm. Even when he doesn't fucking want to, mm. he still goes to the gym. Yeah. Even though you got old mates trying to sell you all these products to get you know, the abs, it's like, no, you just have to actually just go to the gym and eat well every day. Mm. It's the exact same thing with money. Mm. So I have to save, you know, don't, what Lauren Buffett said, don't spend more than what you earn and do this, 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 compound interest. Mm. Well, I think the other interesting thing, obviously, you went into property, we're sitting in a lovely house, you drive an old car, you don't come across as the sort of person, to me, that idealises money because of the stuff it can buy you. Mm -hmm. Like obviously all that all that investing gets you more money. Mm. But I don't know, does money get you what does it get you mm. when you, when you have it? Like, what, yeah. For you. For me, um, money for me is freedom. Yeah. So and freedom of choice. So for me it's yeah, it's the choice part. I wanna have choice. I don't want someone to tell me how I can live my life. Mm -hmm. I don't want to ask permission to live my life. Can mm -hmm. I have time off today? Can I go and pee in an hour because I'm busting? Mm -hmm. um, I want to just have choices in everything that I do. Mm -hmm. And that could be from getting on a plane tonight because I want to see a girlfriend in Melbourne tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Or I want to go see my brother-in-law in London in a week's time. Mm -hmm. um, or the fact that I actually just really need a week off because I've got gone through a lot and I'm just going to do it next week. Mm. It's just about, it's about choice for me. Mm. And it's a little bit of a game too. Um, so yeah, I, I'm not a things person. I mean, I don't like shopping. My girlfriend shops for me. Mm. Um, I get a bucket load of hand-me-down clothes because my girlfriends know that I don't like to shop mm -hmm. and they give me shoes, clothes, you know, um, actually what I'm wearing today. My jeans are hand-me-downs, mm -hmm. but the rest, this is from Vinnie's, mm -hmm. and then this is just something I bought. Like, I don't, I not, yeah, I don't like things, I just like the game, and I like the choice, and I like to help people too, I want to give back. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Cool. Well, knowing that you uh, have things to do, mm -hmm. I'm running out of time, I'll give you the freedom to go. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, yeah, thanks, thanks for coming over. And thanks again for tuning in. I'll see you shortly.